This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. Oh, beautiful stuff. True colors. True colors. What are they? What are your true colors? And how do those colors come together in this beautiful rainbow that we call creation? And how is it that we find the courage, the courage, courage meaning where our heart lives? How do we find that place where our heart lives that can give words and meaning to that courage? Now, we're going to start this series with just kind of doing a brain warm-up here on what courage is, what it isn't, as well as hearing a story from someone who is yet to volunteer about an example of courage. So I want to start out, I'm going to be coming out there in the audience, I'm going to show you pictures, and your job is to give a one-word response of that kind of courage is fill-in-the-blank, all right? So just wait till I get down. The first one is for all our do-it-yourselfers. All right. <laughs> yes, that is one of your boys, Delana. That kind of courage is? Really stupid. Really stupid. <laughs> Real, says a man who knows. Yes. <laughs> all right. Courage number two. That, this kind of courage is. Who wants to fill that in for me? This kind of courage is. Selfless. Selfless. Totally, totally selfless. I just remember seeing this from Tiananmen Square. You know, wow. And I, you know, the part that amazes me about this courage, no one saw it. Like, this was done privately. Pretty incredible kind of courage there. All right, now what about this kind of courage? Picture of a mom from the Depression. Picture of a mom from the Depression. Who wants to give an answer there? Oh, right. Oh, right. Faith. Faith. say unchosen or unintentional. Unchosen, un- unchosen, unintentional. Beautiful. That, that unchosen thing, that quiet courage. And what I want to do is I want to see if somebody would like to tell a story about this question here. Tell us a story of quiet courage. Tell us a story. Who wants to share with us today a story just of quiet courage, a quiet courage that they've seen in the world? It's just quiet. Nothing big. I'm actually just remembering my mother when she turned my brother had died many years ago, and I was fairly young. There were seven children in our family, and and I just remember my mom uh, kept going. She was just kept going for all of us. Um, I didn't fully appreciate it at the time. Beautiful. Give those people a round of applause, folks. So when you look at this idea of quiet courage, it's so easy to get enamored, I think, with the big types of courage. You know, and I was thinking back to my own life. I've been called to be that kind of courage one time. 
We're driving back from the Outer Banks. It's way in the middle of nowhere, and there's a car accident in front of us. And we end up, I end up having to do first aid. Um, you know, that was a moment that, you know, a newspaper-like moment, right? But how many of those do we get in our lives? One? Maybe two? Certain professions probably get them all the time. As pastors, you don't get them all the time. But isn't it interesting, right, that we hold that up as courage? But I think what you said, what you shared about your mom, that's real courage. Could I get a still amen on that one? Amen. amen. You know, it is true. That's the kind of courage that I think we're called to. And that's the kind of courage I think that we get to witness all the time in this world. So that begs the question, like, well, how do we do that? How do we go about creating that kind of quiet courage in our lives? The kind of courage that actually matters. The kind of courage that actually lasts. How do we do that? Well, I want to start out by looking at this quote. This is from Joan Halifax. If we strengthen our backs, metaphorically speaking, and develop a spine that's flexible but sturdy, then we can risk having a front that's soft and open, representing choiceless compassion. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? You know, a certain point of courage where it's just, we're no longer even choosing it. We're just compassionate. The place in your body where these two meet, let's say those five words really loud. I'll say them once and I'll have you say them. Strong back and soft front. Let's say them loud. Strong back, soft front. What does it mean to have courage? Well, I think part of how we get there is we get there through having a strong back and we get there through having a soft front. And there's this, this meeting place in between that she talks about, so beautiful. But I think it really has to start, it really has to start with that idea of a strong back. So can I tell you a story about a strong back? A story that I love. It's a story I'm going to say the word and a bunch of you go like, oh, I loved that story. And a bunch of you go like, I don't know what that story is. And then both are fine. It's a story made famous through the simple title, Daniel in the Lion's Den. Daniel in the Lion's Den. I see some smiles out there already. Some of you are right back to Sunday school. Daniel in the Lion's Den. Beautiful story. Now I want to set it up. I'm going to step over here on this carpet, set it up a little bit. So the way this story starts is there's this very diligent, very good man by the name of Daniel. And he's living in this kingdom, not in Israel. He's living in this kingdom, this other kingdom. And it's ruled by a king, King Darius. It's a story, again, from the Bible, book of Daniel, big surprise there. And he's working for this king, and he's doing really, really, really well. He's doing good things for this kingdom. He's serving in ways that are quiet, ways that are meaningful. He's showing up, and he's serving. And what happens, a lot of the other sort of lieutenant governors, he's like a governor of a province, and a lot of the other, what I'm going to call lieutenant governors, the fancy biblical word for them is satraps. Yes, you can use that in Jeopardy or in Scrabble sometime. The word satraps were, were these sort of these lieutenant governors that were right underneath, and they're seeing this guy, and they're seeing all his power increase, this power increase, this power increase. And as all happens all too often, all too often with human nature, who can predict the J word showing up? What is it? Jealousy. Jealousy. 
jealousy starts to show up. Jealousy and conspiracy go hand in hand a lot of the time. So they're deeply jealous. They start to conspire around, how are we going to get rid of this guy? How are we going to get him out of this job? How are we going to eliminate him? Now, the challenge was that they're looking at everything this guy does, and they're looking at his body of work, and they could find no corruption in him because he was trust, trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Look at his body of work. This, this guy's got a clean sheet. You know, no rap sheet on this guy. He's, he's a really good man. He's doing good things. So they have to figure out how to do this differently, how to get rid of him. What they do is that they step over and they gather with the king. And they chat with the king and they say, king, you know what? We need to pass a law. And the law says only you can be worshipped. Only you and your pantheon of gods. Now, for the history people in there, was that weird for a king to be worshipped at this time, yes or no? No, not at all. Kings were considered sort of divine anyways. So, and you can imagine, I can imagine myself, a little flattery, right? Like, you want to worship me? That's a great idea. (laughs) Not a great idea for this congregation, just saying. But, but you can see where, like, that could be, you know, that, that, that flattery. Having no idea that they're trying to set Daniel up. He has, Darius has no idea of this. So, of course, he signs off on it like this is the law. Anyone who disobeys the law, done. Done. It's because they knew something about Daniel. They knew Daniel. I'm going to step back over here. They knew Daniel... Three times a day. Listen to this, folks. Three times a day. He got down on his knees and prayed. Please say those two words. Giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. No big prayer, no prayer of insurrection, no conspiracy, no righteousness, no righteous indignation, no anger, no competition, no that I'm here, there, there, none of it. Every day, quietly, a quiet prayer of thanks to God. Three times. Beautiful. But in doing that, he was in violation of the law. So what happens, stepping back over here, the king finds out about it. And the king looks at these laws, looks at these laws, and... He's, he's trapped. He's looked at these laws that he's been tricked into, and it's like he totally forgot, dude, you're king. You can change the law. He totally forgot. He'd given up all his power to these laws and these rules. We, at times, give up all our power to our own crazy laws and rules. Is that right? Yeah, we do. And he's totally stuck. Like, no, look, this is the way it has to be, but I don't want, I don't want to do this. This is a good man. But his advisors go like, our hands are tied. Sorry. Which was more important to them, people or rules? Rules. Rules were more important than people. The law came far before people ever did. Christ completely blows that apart in the New Testament. But this was pretty revolutionary, this story of Daniel, because it, you're going to see how this gets handled in a way that is, 
is just miraculous, I think. You know, and you can see precursors to all kinds of ways that we can live into the world if we can follow this reaction. So what the king does is the king realizes like that he has to, has to follow the law. He gives up all his power. He has Daniel bound and placed into a den of lions. In other words, that's the way they would execute people at that time. They throw them into a, a den of hungry lions. I mean, horrible stuff, right? I want to talk for a minute. By the way, Daniel, get, if you're young in the crowd, you're worried, Daniel's okay. We'll come back to that at the second half. I want to talk about how we get trapped. Because I think this king got trapped. And I think there's lots of lessons for me where I get trapped. And I imagine if you look at these with an open mind, you'll go like, oh yeah, I can get trapped there too. This is one of those lists that I want to share that I would recommend you take a picture of. Just see where this might show up for you. Now there are a number of different traps. We fall into these traps, these laws, and think that Darius part of your mind, that king that can kind of give up all our power. Number one, we believe that if we could only silence our sharpest critics, it would all be well. You know, if I could just, if, if I just didn't have that person here complaining, you know, they're, they're Chris, if they just weren't there, I'd be fine. How many of us do that? You know, think of a work environment, right? You probably have that person, like if they just weren't there, they weren't complaining, life would be good. And I think of that trap, the king, looking at those other lieutenant governors going like, I just don't want him to complain anymore. Number two, this one's really big, folks. If out of this list, there's five of them. This is the one I would put a star on. We retreat. I'm going to step aside here so you can kind of see it more clearly. We retreat into, please say those two words, into comfortable righteousness. That's a biggie. That's huge, actually. When I don't really want to engage in a difficult conversation, and I do this all the time, instead of you know coming towards a conversation, coming towards the resolution of something, I step back into my comfortable righteousness. And I've got my board of directors I can check it all out with, not literal board of directors, my own figurative people who are my complaint committee. Much of it in my head, where I can go and I can make all those complaints there, and it becomes a comfortable righteousness for me. And I'm able to sort of look over there and just be very comfortable over here about all the righteousness about the way they're making mistakes. And when you read through this, you see the king get caught on it. You don't see him with Daniel get caught on it. You see with him saying, like, when they come to him and say, like, look, you have to follow the law. And he gets, you see, like, this sort of this group thing happen where there's this comfortable righteousness of, oh, yeah, law's the most important thing. Oh, yeah, law's the most important thing. Again, he's the king. <laughs> he's the king. He totally forgot. He totally forgot he was the king. And he could have smashed those laws. Because they weren't the laws of love. The law of connection. The law of relation. He had a strong back. But it was the wrong kind of strong. He had a strong back. But it was the wrong kind of strong. Now, other traps, I think there's three more we're saying. We lay our restricted offering at the foot of human approval. So, so what happens is we get so nervous about what we want to offer other people, so aware of the critics out there, so ensconced in our own righteousness, that what we do is we take our gift and we just, we just parse it down to something really small that we can offer that somehow they'll feel like, well, they might not like this, but if I just give them that, it'll be okay. 
So our gifts get small. We get small. And aside from Pastor Chuck, God doesn't want anybody living small. He wants you awake. He wants you courageous. He wants you big. This one, another big one. We idolize order over transformation. We'll take order any day, but the transformation that might change us, very challenging. A little aside for me, just a little aside. I feel this with debates around global warming. Stock market's doing good. Let's not talk about it. That's a little aside. But those are the kinds of things, folks, where I think we have to actually be willing to engage in the conversation. However you are on that, however you lie on that, doesn't matter. But let's have the conversation. And let's just not treasure order so much that transformation doesn't get to be part of it. We do this all the time with our lives. Where we'd much rather have peace and quiet than the difficult conversation that could transform lives. And the last one. We confuse strength with rigidity. So for a lot of us, I think of myself here, it's easy to think, like the king did, we just have to be rigid on this thing. Well, if your back is totally rigid, how well does that work, folks? Not terribly well. I mean, the back is made up of, of all these all these pieces and parts, and it's flexible. It's even got a curve in it. And we talk about having a strong back. Yeah, they've really got to have a backbone. Well, backbone stands for something. And it's also flexible at the same time. Beautiful trick. I'm going to step back over here. It's, it's kind of like I was thinking, how comfortable would a car be without shock absorbers? Not that comfortable. Life lived really rigidly. It's like a car without shock absorbers. It doesn't do terribly well. So, as the band comes out for the middle song here, think for yourself, you know, what traps might you have fallen into? Because you need to be aware that there are traps out there. We need to be aware of how we address those traps. And then the other part of it, that's the part I think we have to ask of that Darius self. And the other part of it is also accessing that Daniel part. That part that is courageous. That part that is strong. The part that is awfully, I mean an awful lot of the time, quiet. But a part in our lives that's able to really say with peace and calm, bring on the rain. Bring on the rain. You know, such a different kind of courage than we will, we will rock you, isn't it? <laughs> Not everybody knows that song. But just that, that courage of like bringing on the rain, bringing on those hard parts, and, and the quiet courage here of Daniel, and, and, the, and the parts of King Darius, who's not a bad king in this story, actually. You know, he's not kind of the bad guy. He's just kind of a guy who's trapped. We can all get trapped. I think, you know, telling the story from sort of his angle and Daniel's at the same time really yields a lot of beautiful lessons. 
And there are lessons we can even transpose later on. Like, like one document, I'm going to talk about it really quickly. Those of you here for the first time, as the congregation knows well, I was an American history teacher forever. I love history. Huge fan of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. And, uh, you know, his, his writings are just so amazing to me, so incredible. And I want to just share a part of a document here that I think connects with King Darius, that love of order over transformation. It's a document I've talked about many times in here. I'm going to talk about many times more because I just think it's great. It's the document Letters from a Birmingham Jail. Now, why I love this letter and why literally I'll bust it out a half dozen times a year to read it is, as many of you know, probably most of you know in here, it's actually not written to people. It's written to clergy. (laughs) It's written to clergy. Fascinating. And what it said was, it was, it was Martin Luther King was imprisoned, and he was saying, well, this is what the biggest challenge is. He was saying the challenge is not people who are way out there filled with hate on the margins. He was saying the challenge is the people in the middle. What Christ would call lukewarm. The challenge are moderates more devoted to order than to justice who prefer a negative peace, which is the absence of tension. Like, listen to this, folks. Let these words kind of really get in there. Prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill. And I think Daniel would have said this about the king. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of goodwill. I think, to use that Daniel analogy, I think Daniel would have had a harder time. It doesn't say this in the story. I'm making this up, but I don't think it's too far afield. Uh, I think Daniel would have had a harder time with what Darius did than what the crazy satraps did. Like, their game was sort of right out there. But here's this guy who was actually goodwilled, but wasn't willing to take a stand. That he couldn't understand. That is why it's hard for Martin Luther King to understand. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. Interesting stuff. And I think, folks, these things are are so significant that, again, we have to keep coming back to, like, like, what does it actually mean to have courage? What does it mean to have that backbone? And I think for a lot of us, we look to culture for that answer. I don't know that culture always gives us the right answer. It doesn't give us the answer of the quiet mom who just keeps showing up, even when her heart is broken. It doesn't yield those answers. But maybe those are the truest answers there was. See, see, Daniel was only one thing. He was only courageous. That's all he was. See, he goes into this lion's den, Bound. Now, if we were to do it today, we would arm him with a machine gun, a chair, a whip. We'd have him fighting the lions. It's not what he does. For those of you who are Bible geeks out there, this is such a a wildly different way of, of being that we see in the Old Testament. It doesn't even fit necessarily with the normal Old Testament way of doing things. Pretty much a miracle. And, and folks, look at the, take time to look at the faces of the lions there. I don't know which, auth, which uh, artist this was, but it sure is powerful. 
You know, one line like, <gasps> another line subdued, another line still roaring. I, I think when, when we have those quiet places in our lives with a quiet backbone, yes, we will surprise some people. Yes, we will maybe subdue some people. In other words, some people will sort of be humbled by it in a good way. Your job is not to humble other people, just so you know. But we can, we can sort of have that effect on other people. And of course, there's still those lions who are going to continue to roar. But this is what happens in the end. The king races out in the morning over to the lion's den. He rolls, gets the, gets the rock rolled aside. He shouts down in there, Daniel, are you all right? Daniel, are you all right? Again, speaks to the fact that the king actually had a good will. He just hadn't given himself permission to use it. And Daniel answers back up. And listen to these words. O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lion. They have not hurt me. Because I was found innocent. In God's sight. Nor have I done anything wrong before you. Okay. I wonder if when Daniel went in the lion's den, what the other lion saw was another lion. A different kind of lion. A lion strong and courageous. A lion with a strong back, a soft front, an open heart. A lion that was king. A lion that was queen in that situation. We have a call, I think, as best we can to live life that way. I think part of that is not looking for the excuse for the big heroic thing. But understanding your life is replete with opportunities for the small, quiet courage that actually matters. The showing up, the comforting hand, the openness, the hug, the connection, the doing the right thing simply because it's the right thing to do whether somebody's there to see you or not. That very basic courage. I think when we find it, what we find is we find our spark, David Stendhal Ross. In each of us, there is a spark that can reverse the trends of violence and depression spiraling within us and in the world around us. By setting in motion the spiral of gratefulness, we can begin the journey towards peace and joy. In our lives, to close folks, we'll always have the satraps. We'll always have those parts of our brain that get all mired in conspiracy, all too willing to offer bad advice. The new church says that represents our rational mind, our thinking mind. Pretty interesting. And of course, we'll all have that King Darius in us as well. That part, and I say this with a smile, all too ready to listen to the bad advice. 
all too ready to shift their locus of power somewhere out there versus owning what we can do in here. I want to say that again. All too willing to listen to bad advice. All too willing to shift their power out there versus being willing to own the power that is in here. And the good part of the story, every single one of you in this room has a Daniel, has a spark, has a place just waiting to be called. I'm calling it. I'm calling you on it. Set Daniel free. Amen. We're now going to do a closing prayer. I'm going to offer a prayer, and then you'll have the opportunity to say your own prayer, the Lord's Prayer as you know it. And then we have a great song to close on. If you're feeling like standing up and joining anybody and standing up and singing with the band, you're more than welcome. If you'd rather enjoy it seated, you're welcome to do that as well. So please join me in a prayer. So Lord, thank you for your presence here among us today. Thank you, Lord, for the idea of quiet courage, for the model we see here with Daniel. For that idea, Lord, that we can step into that quiet courage, knowing, Lord, quiet courage is not always comfortable. That the world does have lines. It just does. And that we can face those lines with the sure knowledge that we are yours. That you hold us. You care for us. You are gently bringing us all home. Give us, Lord, that courage. The courage to quietly go about our lives with a strong back, a soft front, Lord, an open heart. Bless the Daniels. Bless the Daniels and every single one of these amazing people here today. Call that forth. Save us. Open us. Love us. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.